Blog Talk Radio. Well, hey there. It's 2013. We're still here, and it's time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child, this being our first program of 2013. Uh, We're going to start the new year with a bang, and that's with the Parents Panel, which usually airs on the first Monday of every month, but we didn't do a program on January 1st, and so it's the second Monday this month. We'll be back to the first Monday next month, and um, we're going to jump right in. Our parents' panel members are ready to go. Uh, welcome back to the program, Susie. How are you today? I'm good, Dr. Green. How are you? I am doing well. And Kathy, welcome back to the program as well. Thank you, Dr. Green. I hope you both had a nice holiday and um, are ready for the first parents panel program of 2013. I usually start the program by asking if there is anything you both have on your minds, and so let's start there um, we, of course, had some uh, a very important tragedy that occurred um, last year when I first when I last was on the air, but we don't have to talk about Newtown if we don't want to. We can talk about anything we want. That's the neat thing about this program. Um, either of you have anything you want to bring to our attention or make sure we talk about today? Kathy, you want to go first? Okay, thanks, Susie. Um, I uh, wanted to talk about uh, a teacher who um, doesn't really want to use collaborative problem solving. Um, I'm I'm thinking about a situation where um, my son is in a school where they have something called a portfolio, and it's kind of an audio-visual thing that they do on the computer to show parents and teachers what they've done that year in each of their classes. And it's a real hot button for my son. He really hates doing it. And in past years, he's managed to get teachers to do the typing. And has, when it's come to presenting it to the parents in the parent-teacher conference, he really is not buying into it. And um, it's really, it's been Plan C for a long time. And um, But I think the director of the school really would like to get him to do it, but he really he is really not buying into it. And so part of his, um, what was a study hall time, 15 minutes every Monday, he's made to sit in front of the computer and work on it. And he, he claims to have finished it, so he sits for those 15 minutes and fumes. And it, it, it goes well beyond the 15 minutes. It, it um, you know, in the morning, I, I drive him on Mondays, because of another appointment, and in the morning in the car, he said, I'm going to be made to sit in front of that computer again. And I could just see the stage being set for um, not a meltdown, but, you know, a a bad start to his day, his week, um, the first full week of school since since the vacation break. And 
we've tried we've had a meeting with the school about collaborative problem solving, which is in its IEP. Um, the teacher doesn't really seem to want to do it. She's sort of afraid if she gives in on this that um, she's giving something up. And I'm, I'm kind of looking for advice on where to go with it, I guess. Well, and you just said the magic words. I was, it was kind of one of those wait-for-it moments. <laughs> um, because when I hear that a teacher doesn't want to do it, um, those are not usually the words. Those, so those are not, that doesn't usually give me enough information. Okay. And so at the very end of what you were describing, you gave us a bit of a hint about why she might not be doing it. And I don't want to make assumptions about whether she wants to or not. I'm usually looking for the reason she isn't. I, I find that let's figure out why they're not doing it is a more productive line of inquiry than she does or doesn't want to do it. Okay. But you just you just gave us a little bit of information, and that is that um, she thinks she'll be giving in by doing it. Now, if, if that's something she's actually verbalized, we now have something we can work with because that is an incorrect assumption. And maybe um, she doesn't know enough about what she'd be doing, what Plan B would look like. Maybe she has some incorrect perceptions about it. Maybe she's confusing Plan B with Plan C. Even Plan C isn't giving in. It's prioritizing, and these are just the ones we're not working on right now. But there's actually no giving in in the entire model. No such thing. And so um, that she's come to the belief that she'd be giving in by doing it suggests, suggests I would want to hear more, that she may have some misperceptions about what is actually involved. And if she has some misperceptions about what's involved, she may also be wondering if she's capable of doing it. Um, that's where that leads me. I don't know, Susie, do you have any more thoughts to add to that? Um well, I think I I wanted to it, it, please Kathy, I I don't mean this in um any ways of being uh critical. It it's just simply a suggestion. I think the time to have this discussion with your son and maybe find out a little bit more information too is in a calmer moment, not maybe on the way to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, um because it seems like this has been going on since the beginning of the year. Is that right? It um, well, the, the the whole period, the study hall has changed. It was uh-huh. originally um, time that they did their homework, and they don't get as much as a typical middle school student does. So he he's efficient and can finish it during that time. So putting the portfolio right in at that moment kind of raises red flags for him. And the other piece is that they have to um, clean the school or participate in sort of a group cleanup once a week during that same period. And his big fear is that he's not going to be able to get his homework done at school, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes that he has to bring home. Right. For him, that's that's sort of inviolate. You know, he, he can't he can't cross that line. So it, it's the change, I think, 
and being asked to do these things during that time period. And, and we went around, uh, and a person who's very good at collaborative problem solving in, in Maine, in addition to Ross, came with us to mm-hmm. a meeting, and we went round and round. And on um, and her perception of, of this person was that they weren't really buying into it. Um, it was more like, well, you get these two options, and if you're not doing them, then you're not participating in it, sort of to my son. So it, it, it seemed like the drilling step was kind of missing. Well, for, yeah, not only the drilling step, but she sounds like she's pretty much in plan A. But do you feel, Kathy, that you have the clearest understanding of your son's concern about why he he doesn't want to, um, why he's having a hard time? It, it's, a, it's a tedious, tedious task, and he doesn't do well for him. You know, I, I could probably spend 15 minutes changing fonts on a PowerPoint document, <laughs> right. you know, and call it good. But um, for him, it's tedious. And it is, um, if you think of your worst subject at school or something that you really didn't enjoy, mm-hmm. and and then, mag, you know, multiply that by 100% or something like that, because he, fe- he seems to feel it more intensely. He like, really I didn't like feels science, it. But I got yeah. through it. He yeah. really feels it. So mm-hmm. it's like going to the dentist on Black Friday in Walmart or something, you know, something very unpleasant to him. So so he needs, I think, some kind of incentive or something to get through it to, to make him feel like it's worthwhile. Because he'll analyze it to death and say, well, I don't need this for my future um, career or whatever. But, he, but at the same time, he just does need to know how to get through tasks that aren't necessarily our first choice. Right, and... and- Perhaps in a job environment, from the know. teacher's point of view, there's there's certain um, there's practice that he's getting out of using the computer and uh, presenting information, and a lot learning a long term project. You know yeah. how do you add to it each week, kind of thing. There there is that, but I I don't I feel like they're just both sort of sitting down in their um, rigid chairs and mm-hmm. having a staring face off and he'll just sit in front of that computer for the rest of the year but my concern is that every monday you know it when he realizes oh it's monday i'm going to have that 15 minutes in front of the computer where i'm not doing anything and he will just refuse you know it 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 just seems like so non-productive to have this face off every monday and, and and adds to his stress right are you do you think that you might be comfortable making uh, an appointment with the teacher to to have a plan B conversation and uh, kind of find out her concerns to clarify that? Because I'm, I'm sure, as we've all learned through plan B, you know, both sides have valid, legitimate concerns. I, I think I think we need to do that again. I'm I'm also wondering if I might even um, try to have the person um, that we work with here in Maine go in and 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 do it with them because she's really very skilled at getting um, Ben's con- uh, his concerns out. It, um, and she she's particularly not that I'm not good at it, but she's she's really good at getting them out in a way that they can be heard because. I sort of feel like we spent an hour and a half going over these two problems and didn't really come up with a, with anything. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. It was a parent teacher conference, and, and we brought our outside person in. 
and I just felt like, well, we'll get through to Christmas and the new year will happen and then we'll start all over again and it'll be back to, you know, the stalemate kind of. Mm-hmm. And it sort of felt like I did go in and, 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 and my husband went as well and we tried and um, I don't know. My only concern was that I, I'm just wondering, does the teacher feel um, threatened or defensive when you bring probably, in your, uh, probably a person? I, I, all I have to do is m- mention collaborative problem solving, and I get kind of this. Uh, I think they find that that's not what they do with all of their students, and, and their methods are better than most. I, I really do think that. Um, but I, I sort of feel like all I have to do is mention the language and I can kind of see some hair stand up. Absolutely. I totally understand um, having had difficulty with our school system. Um, the They don't want per- you telling them what to do, basically. Right, <laughs> and, and they unfortunately might see your child as coddled or spoiled and just trying to get his own way. Um. And the truth is, you don't have to say those words. In other words, um, they they may not know what those words mean. Uh, In meetings, I'm less likely to say you need to do this or you need to do that or you need to do this model or that model. And I'm much more inclined to say, well, I don't think we understand yet what's getting in his way. And we know how poorly he responds when we simply impose our will. Plus, any solution we come up with where we don't understand what's getting in his way uh, may not work very well because we don't know what we're trying to address with our solution, so it feels to me like it would be helpful to figure out what's getting in his way first, and then we can come up with a solution that works for all of us. And I find that when I say those things, um, what is there to object to? If right. I if I go with a more if I go with more global terminology, if I name a model that people around the table may not know very much about, or if I uh, say, and I agree with you that um, most professionals who feel that they are competent at what they do don't want to be told what to do instead, um, and often right. that is especially true when it's somebody who they don't think may be as qualified as they are, although to tell you the truth, um, if um, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot, who wrote a book called The Essential Conversation, which is a great book about the important conversations that need to take place between um, parents and teachers because both have something to bring to the table as it relates to knowledge of a particular child. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the best way to solve a problem is not to treat one constituency, parent, teacher, as the expert, but to recognize that both bring important viewpoints and information to the table. Of course, that doesn't even leave out the most important person who can tell us about what his concerns are, your son. Um, but So we'll have to assume that everybody at the table, parents, 
educators have something important to offer um, in terms of expertise, we're going to get the information we need from your son, and that's the goal is to work together. But I find that if we name a model, because people may not even know what's involved in that model, they may have object to it completely or get their hairs up unnecessarily. But when we talk more descriptively, I think, and the truth is, Kathy, as you were describing your son's concerns, I was thinking to myself, boy, I'm I'm glad that um, we're recognizing that the empathy step needs to be done because I'm not sure we understand his concerns completely yet. Uh, sounds like we need more information along those lines. But I also think that the folks at school need to be reassured that just because they're taking a child, and this is what almost everybody who's new to the model needs reassurance about, just because we're putting a kid's concerns onto the table doesn't mean we're giving in, doesn't mean we're tossing our concerns out the window. And I think that when we describe the model descriptively, um, very few mm-hmm. people have a problem with it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Susie, anything to throw into the hopper? Uh, just a question. So what is your advice, Dr. Green, about bringing in the outside plan B person? What do you think about that if that makes the teacher a bit defensive? Well, in, in this case, I'm not positive because I don't understand this situation as well as I would like to. The, the What my main comment about this case is that if the folks at school are already on the defensive, we would want to proceed carefully and in a way that didn't make them even more defensive. Mm-hmm. That's this instance. Um, I do find that generically, in many instances, um, folks at school may be so reluctant or so not receptive to what the parents have to say that sometimes it does take, take a third party coming in and um, not being adversarial. A lot of times people who parents bring in, sometimes those people think that it's their job to be adversarial. It's actually not their job to be adversarial. It's their job to try to help people solve problems together. Um, So unfortunately it becomes adversarial unnecessarily in many instances. Sometimes those people are walking into a process that is already adversarial and simply throw fuel onto the fire. Um, so generically, while it is sometimes very important to have that third party come in because things are not going well, the, the goal is to come in and be collaborative, not to come in and be adversarial if if one can possibly pull that off. I don't know if that's too generic to be helpful, but uh, we don't want to rule out the possibility that a third party can be helpful and sometimes necessary. The role of that person should be much more collaborative than adversarial. That helps. Yeah, and the person that I'm thinking about is very collaborative, um, and Perfect. and is good about using good about using um, you know the 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 language rather than the the terminology. I I, I don't know how to term that, but um, more focusing on what people's concerns are um, and trying to get those out on the table. I just felt. Um, Sometimes I I want to bring this person in in desperation and and also in being tired of trying. Because, <laughs> um, you know, sometimes you want to shake people and say, but this isn't the IEP. This is why we went to due process. But, you know, this was, we, we went there because, 
you know, plan A doesn't work with this kid. And, you, you know, you just you, you run out of steam. It's uh, very easy to run out of gas. Um, it's, it's exhausting. Emotionally and physically. So it sounds like it might be a good idea to have the third party come in, um, but to make sure that it's done in a way that isn't perceived as adversarial so that he or she isn't walking in the meeting with people who already have their dander up. Right. Susie, what do you have on your mind today? Um, well... I just wanted to take a minute and say uh, something about your editorial for the real world regarding Newtown. And, um, you know, it, it was, I thought, very helpful when you, um, when you stated that perhaps uh, Nancy... Lanza um, tried to get the help for her son or might not have gotten the help for her son, um, but that she was, you know, trying to do the best she could under the circumstances. And it it is so difficult out there trying to find um, a helping person to help your challenging child, someone whose approach makes sense to you. Um, And yet, I mean, no disrespect, but you have to be very careful because frequently um, mental health professionals are are raised on archaic um, theories themselves. And uh, we know that just makes things worse um so i think that it was obviously very unfortunate that um adam her son did not have a chance with plan b and um get the help that he needed and we don't know what he got i haven't read about that Mm mm-hmm I don't think there's and a lot been said, really. I don't think so either. Um, I haven't seen anything. We, we that that information has been hard to come by. I know, having participated in a um, as an expert witness on behalf of the defense mm-hmm. in a murder trial of an adolescent who stabbed to death another kid at his high school um, and was very reluctant to comment on that one either. But because I ended up involved in the case, I got to know him and spent a lot of time talking with him. Mm -hmm. And because I was being asked for a professional opinion, did come to the conclusion that during the time that the tragedy occurred in that case, the kid was in a transient psychotic state, a brief 
psychotic state, a brief state in which he was no longer in contact with reality. I can't say that I was able to provide as perfect an explanation for why he did what he did as I might have liked. And I was reflecting on that in the case of Adam Lanza because um, we may never understand it completely. And even if he were still available to us to ask questions of, we might never understand it completely because he may not have completely understood why he was doing what he was doing. One of the fascinating and scary things about us human beings is that we don't always understand why we're doing what we're doing and that any attempt to figure it out after the fact um, is exactly that, after the fact, and by definition, often quite imprecise. But the reason I wrote that parents do well if they can in that piece is that I think it's okay to operate on the assumption that Nancy Lanza did her best. Like every parent of every behaviorally challenging kid I've ever worked with, how they ended up where they were at, and we don't even understand that well. We've read in the newspaper uh, secondhand that Adam was spending a great deal of time in his basement playing violent video games, but I've, I've come to distrust almost everything I've read in the case just because there were so, so many things that they got wrong at many points along the way in the case. But let's assume briefly that um, that is exactly the scenario. He was spending a great deal of time in the basement playing violent video games. One would have to assume from a parent's do-well-if-they-can perspective and from a kid's do-well-if-they-can perspective that Nancy Lanza wasn't pleased about that. From a parent's do-well-if-they-can perspective, we would operate on the assumption that she tried to do something about it, um, may have sought outside help, we don't know, and that she still had a son who was spending his time in the basement isolated playing violent video games. And if I was to just stretch it a little bit further, as I did in the real-world piece on the mm -hmm. Life and the Balance website, maybe she didn't know what to do beyond that. Maybe every time she went into the basement, this is all hypothesizing, which I always think is precarious. Maybe every time she went into the basement, like a lot of behaviorally challenging kids do with their parents, if things have gotten to a certain point, she was being told to shut up and leave me alone and get out of here. Right. We don't know and may never. But, Susie, I don't know if I interrupted your flow there or not. Nope, you did not. Um, I did have something else to um, talk about, if, yep. unless... Please. Yep. Okay. Well, I've talked to a couple of people recently who have teenagers, and as you might expect, the parents are concerned that their teenage kids are getting more and more involved with alcohol and drugs. And they mentioned it to me because 
my child had gone through it already. Their child is not open to discussing it, denies it, or is defensive and confrontational about it. Um, They're not sure if they've seen a decline in grades and if that has anything to do with this um, drug and alcohol use. So I'm asking you, Dr. Green, how does Plan B help parents and kids to deal with this? To deal with... I'm sorry. Especially when the kid doesn't have a concern. He doesn't see it as a problem. The drug and alcohol use. I'm sorry. I, I missed the first part of what you... Asked. The, the the kid doesn't have a concern about what? He he doesn't see drinking or um, smoking pot as a big deal. You know, all of his friends are doing it, and um, it like he likes how it makes him feel. How would you deal with it? Well, it sounds like we have the beginning of the kids' concern or perspective onto the table. And this is this is one of the places where a lot of people get stuck because they say the kid doesn't have a concern about the drinking and the drug use, so how can we talk with him about it? Well, it actually sounds like we've got a little bit of information that would have been obtained in the empathy step already. His friends are doing it. Um, I don't remember the other one that you said. He doesn't. He likes the way it makes him feel. That was yes. the other one. Yep. And um, that's the beginning of what we might hear in the empathy step. But the kid doesn't have to have a problem with it in the sense that he thinks there's a problem for us to solve the problem collaboratively with him. But we do need to do the empathy step to hear what his concerns are. Um, and I've just heard the very beginnings. One of the things we do know about the empathy step is that kids who have their concerns heard first are much more receptive to hearing somebody else's concerns. So I sure am glad we're not trying to do plan A on this you will not do drugs or drink alcohol. That would be the beginning of plan A from the parent's perspective. Kids' perspective, stop me if you can. That's plan A. Here's plan C. Uh, Well, by the way, um, that conversation is going nowhere. We're not going to get the kids' concern or perspective entered into consideration, and that problem is unlikely to get solved because most parents do not actually have the ability to keep their kids from doing that stuff and keeping their kid locked inside the bedroom for the rest of his life is <laughs> unlikely to be an effective intervention. That's exactly right. Plan C would be, oh, you want to do drugs and alcohol. Okay. <laughs> or, and this would actually be, that's that's um, an old form of plan C. Here's the new form of plan C. We've got bigger fish to fry. And so for the time being, we're not going to work on the drug and alcohol issue. That's rare because 
drug and alcohol use does tend to be a high priority. So it's a little hard to imagine mm-hmm. doing Plan C on that. Here's on the on the occasions in which I've seen Plan C used, and this has been rare. I'm trying to think of ever. I was about to say there are some parents who actually don't have a problem with their kid doing drugs or drinking alcohol, and for them this would be a non-issue. Mm-hmm. There are some parents who actually don't have a problem with it themselves and may even be using themselves, mm-hmm. but their concern is that they don't want the kid doing it in circumstances in which the kid would be likely to get caught and therefore get in trouble with the law, but that would still lead us into plan B because while the parent doesn't have a problem with the alcohol and drug use per se, the parent does have a concern about how the kid is going about doing it, and that means the problem still needs to be solved. Um, But in plan B, just because the kid is saying, I don't have a problem with this, doesn't mean we plan B has now been thrown out the window. It means we got to do the empathy step to find out what he means by, I don't have a problem with it. And then a lot hinges on what he says next. And a lot hinges on what the parents put on the table as it relates to their concern. Mm-hmm. Are they concerned that the drug and alcohol use is affecting the kid academically? is going to affect the kid's ability to um, get good grades and get into a good college? Are they concerned that it is affecting the kid's ability to get to school on time, to get to school at all, um, to complete assignments, to get homework done? I'd want to hear much more about the parent's concern as well, but we'll never get to the parent's concern unless we do the empathy step first. And we can't stop merely with the information I like how it makes me feel. I'd want to hear much more about that one. And all my friends are doing it. I'd like to hear much more about that one. I don't know if I answered the question or not. Um, yes, you did. It's a it's a great start. I I know that um you know, it's uh it's a huge worry. Um and I know that the you know, the parents were they're their uh, concern was drinking and driving, you know, grades declining, leads to other drugs, um, and his choice of friends um, who this seems to be the norm, doing um, drinking and doing drugs. Mm-hmm. But um, It's a tough one. Yes. Because... Once a kid isn't, number one, it's very hard to choose your kid's friends. Good luck. Right. Um, Number two, once kids get older, plan A on this stuff, I mean, which I wouldn't usually recommend in the first place, but, and by the way, just because we are staying away from plan A on it doesn't mean that we aren't letting the kid know that we have some expectations along those lines, but it's just that those expectations and those concerns would be communicated in the context of collaboration, plan B. Mm -hmm. Um, 
don't worry, he'll hear your concerns. Um, just not being delivered in a form, plan A, in which um, they're also being delivered along with an accompanying solution, which will be instantaneously rejected, in which case the problem will remain unsolved. And I mean, this this is a good example of a lot of the ones that come up with adolescence. I, somebody was telling me the other day about um, a 15-year-old girl who the parents felt was dressing in a way that was too revealing. Um, but we're doing plan A on it, and it was devolving into constant conflict mm-hmm. and never getting solved. Um, you know, the kid has some concerns that about uh, it's a perspective on dressing a certain way. The parents have some concerns about fact that she's dressing that way and we got to get those concerns on the table before we're going to be able to come up with a solution that works for both parties otherwise we're just going to keep fighting about it i'm nodding my head yes thank you for the visual assist there (laughs) uh you're welcome and i just want to add one point that it's If you can, that's why it's so important when the kids are little to start talking and understanding and and having a helping relationship so you can solve problems together. Um, As my grandmother always said, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. And... um, I mean, it, it doesn't, there's no guarantees, we know that, but it certainly does help to get that foundation in as early as possible. It does. There's no guarantees. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could have a 12, 13, 14-year-old who is thinking the way you want him or her to be thinking about drugs and alcohol, and then as peers become increasingly influential and mm-hmm. as kids come to view their parents as less smart and their peers as brilliant, um, <laughs> things can change, but you're certainly in a whole lot better shape as it relates to the odds of having influence if you've been collaborating all along. C- Kathy, it sounds like you were going to fit something in there. Well, I was just wondering um, what your thoughts were on Kids in driving, um, if you know that they're going to go to a party and there may be, you know, you'd hope that there weren't wasn't going to be alcohol there, but it turns out there was. What kind of, um, how, how do you handle things like ground rules? Um, because I'm assuming you wouldn't want your kids to drive if they were drinking. I, I mean, I know I would prefer a phone call. To come pick up, um, but but what what kind of ground rules do you establish about using the car and and things like that? Well, let me let Susie answer first, and then I'll jump in. We've got three experts on this program. Um, Susie, anything to um, throw into the hopper there? Um, I think. Well, in our own situation, we started at a very, very early age, you know, um, this was health and safety, and um, 
not to be plan A-ish, but uh, just you could potentially um, not only get hurt, but worse, um, so that it's it's not a good thing to get in a car with somebody who's been drinking. And we also had told our children that, you know, we never cared whatever time of night it was to, to call us. Um, and we would be, no questions asked, we'd be more than happy to pick them up. Um, also, I've had uh, one of my children take a cab home, which... Um, I thought was a, another good solution to the problem. Um, and if your expectations are being met along those lines, right? and that's, Kathy, I would use the word expectations in place of ground rules. doesn't matter that much, but I find that when adults are using the word rules, it brings them closer to plan A when adults have expectations, and those expectations are unmet, you've got three options. You're clearly not doing plan C on drinking and driving. So now you have two, A and B. Um, And parents would have to think about the relative merits of both of those. Some parents think that because it's a really, really important issue and that it involves safety, um, well, they must be doing plan A, but that is actually not necessarily the case. Um, important unsolved problems can be ha- involving safety can be handled using plan B as well, and in many instances far more productively. Hmm. Um, so I like the word expectations, and I think it's crucial to let the kid know your expectations as it relates to that. And if your expectations are being met, as it relates to going to parties where there is where there are substances being used and making sure that that is handled safely as it relates to driving, you don't need plan A, plan B, or plan C because your expectation is being met. It's when your expectations aren't being met. And on this particular unsolved problem, once again, hard to imagine plan C being an option. Which plan do you want to use to make sure that this problem gets solved? I'm never enthusiastic about solving a problem in a way that ends communication. I'm never enthusiastic about solving problems in a way that doesn't get me the information I need. And so um, if my expectations along those lines weren't being met, um, I'd head straight for plan B. But just because you have an expectation doesn't mean you're doing plan A. And just because it's a really important issue and your expectation isn't being met doesn't mean that that problem is going to be solved using Plan A. In my clinical practice, um, I never use Plan A to solve that particular problem or to help families solve that problem. I help them use Plan B. And what what do the kids come up with as solutions to that? Um, it, it, well, now, it, that depends completely... Go ahead, sorry. Well, say that a kid um, drives home drunk and miraculously makes it in one piece. Next weekend they want to go out to a party. I mean, I'm curious what what kind of solution a a kid would come up with. Totally depends on what they say and totally depends on, um, you know, uh, depends on what they say about why they did it. 
depends on what we say in the define the problem step about why we have some serious concerns about that approach. Um, there is no sort of boilerplate solution. It depends completely on the concerns of both parties. Um, at, at the moment, that's just an expectation that isn't being met and a really important expectation that isn't being met. But what the solution is would depend completely on what concerns we heard. Just as an example, and then we're out of time for today. As an example, if the kid says, I tried calling you guys to come get me and you didn't answer. Oh, good to know. Guess we need a better plan in place because he did what he was supposed to do and something about that solution didn't quite work out. That's going to do it for us today. I'm sorry to report. Thank you both for doing this every month as you do. thought it was Thank a very you. interesting program today, and I can't yeah. wait to do it again next month. Take care. You too. Bye, Bye Kathy. Bye.